Good morning. Before we begin our scripture reading, I would like to tell you about one of our mission partners, the Good Samaritan Mission. The Good Samaritan Mission is a locally based, non-denominational Christian ministry in southeastern Hillsborough County that ministers to the spiritual, physical, and emotional needs of farm worker families and those at or below poverty level income. Several years ago, the mission started an incentivized adult education program. By participating in their own success, the students are able to maintain their dignity as Good Samaritan offers a hands-out and not a hands-up approach. Good Samaritan mobile classes are offered to those in need as a means of discipleship. Each time a student attends class, they earn a token, and tokens can be used in the mobile food pantry for food and other essential items, as well as exchanged for toys for their children that they otherwise may not be able to afford at the Good Samaritan Christmas Blessings event. Good Samaritan Mission depends on partners in ministry like Hyde Park United Methodist Church, who has partnered with the Good Samaritan Mission for 20 plus years with our prayers, serving, volunteering, and financial support. To learn more about the Good Samaritan Mission, you can pick up a 2018-2019 mission book. And after this church, as Reverend McGray has already said, after this church service, we hope that you will join us in the Harnish Activity Center to meet all of our mission partners. And you can look for Reverend Cruz and his wife, Teresa, at the Good Samaritan table where you can learn more about the exciting things happening in the mission and how you may serve. To my far right here is Reverend William Cruz. He is the executive director of the Good Samaritan Mission, and he will be assisting us today with our scripture reading. Let us begin our scripture reading this Mission Sunday's Matthew 25, verses 31 through 45. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was, was it that I saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these 
who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then you will say to those at his left, at his left hand, you that are accused, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The word of God for the world. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Good morning. I want to start first by saying um, what a wonderful congregation you are. I remember early in our time in Florida coming to be with you, and I believe Ken preached, and going out to lunch uh, together, and how gracious you were. And I see your witness in this conference, and am in awe, and um, have nothing but thanksgiving in my heart for you. Thanksgiving in my heart for being able to serve this conference alongside my husband. What a blessing it's been. This morning, I want to focus on one phrase that we heard in that scripture lesson. Lord, when did we see you? When did we see you, Jesus? But first, I want to start with another phrase about seeing. I didn't see it coming. Have you ever said that? I didn't see it coming. You see, it was about eight years ago, and it was late in the day, a sunny day. The sun was getting ready to set. It was around 5 o'clock. I was on the second floor of a guest house in a foreign country, and I was typing away at the computer in that second floor office, looking at the computer screen, when the floor began to shake, and at first I wondered what it was, but within mere seconds I realized that it was an earthquake and it would likely be a big one. And I did what probably all of you would do. In my mind I thought, oh, I need to run outside. But in this particular house, I was in the middle upstairs, and there was a stairway in the middle of the house, and I reasoned that if I ran down those stairs and then had to traverse half of the house to get outside, I might not make it, that the house might collapse. I'd be in the middle of the house, not on the periphery where they might be able to dig me out. And so I, I, I kind of froze for a minute, and then I remembered something from my college days. I'd been a college student, an exchange student in Italy, many, many years before, and there had been a small quake, a little two or three, woke us up during the night. And the next morning in class, the professor said, now if we have another earthquake, students, run to a doorway because a doorway has greater structural support. It's a safer place to be. And so I thought to myself, I need to be in a doorway. And the closest doorway for me 
was a doorway to my left, a sliding glass door that looked over a balcony and into the backyard of the guest house. So I ran to that doorway and I braced myself between the glass and the door jamb and I held on as it shook. And all these questions went through my mind. Where were my friends? Were they, you know, someplace safe? Were they outside? You know, the hopeful thought that, well, maybe this won't be so bad. I was searching for what I should do next, hoping for the best, and then the shaking intensified. And it became so violent that as it shook, I could not focus on the terrain outside, and I really thought that I would die. I thought the building could not possibly hold up under the strain and that it would collapse and I would die. So I began to pray. That's what most of us do in those circumstances. Now, you might think that I would pray, Lord, save me, please let me live. And I don't know why, but I didn't pray that. I guess I thought, you know what, I'm either going to live or die in a few moments. Uh, It'll be one or the other. And so instead, I prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. And if I get emotional, you'll forgive me. I prayed, Lord, thank you for my life because I've had a blessed life. I've had a wonderful husband and beautiful children. I've seen marvelous and wonderful things in my life. And if I don't live through this earthquake, Lord, thank you for the life and the time that's been given me. But then in the next split second, a vision came to my mind that made me think twice of giving up quite so quickly. It was the vision of standing beside my husband when my kids walked down the aisle or held their first child, both of which I've gotten to see since that time. That was 2010 in Haiti, in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. The shaking stopped after 35 seconds. That doesn't seem like very long. But standing in that doorway, embracing myself for the worse, it seemed like an eternity. And as soon as it stopped, I raced outside as quickly as I could. And there were my friends. They were safe. I turned around and looked at the guest house, and it seemed unfazed, intact. The waves in the pool were lapping violently back and forth across that pool surface, lapping over the sides like ocean waves crashing on the beach, and all because of the movement of the earth. As I looked to my right, there was a home next door, and it had collapsed. And I could see very visibly a body crushed when the ceiling of the second floor fell on top of them. Later, I would see a second body near the doorway of that home. person had obviously been trying to run outside, as I thought about doing, but hadn't gotten there in time. Lord, when do we see you? When did we see you? Now, my friends and I were stunned and trying to regain our composure and think through next steps when all of a sudden a wave of people came our way, and this went on for a couple of hours. In Haiti... A good day, the country is in peril. There are no urgent care clinics around the corner or not many hospitals. 
I'm here to tell you, FEMA, they don't have FEMA. Nobody's going to show up and rescue. So you're kind of on your own. So it wasn't a surprise, perhaps, that lots of people showed up at the guest house seeking help. And they were people who had gashes in their head when debris fell on them, or they might have had broken bones. I didn't know. I wasn't a doctor. And really just all of us seeking some solace and comfort and security to find other people to be with and to, to get through the experience. As I said, I wasn't medically trained. I couldn't help these people that were coming to us. But there was somebody in our group who could, and his name was Tom. And Tom began to respond to those who came and were seeking help. Since I couldn't help people, I thought, what can I do? And I thought, I'll help Tom. So I ran in and out of the guest house gathering supplies, any bandages or first aid equipment or, you know, alcohol or swabs and collecting that all in a place to be used. And every now and then I'd run over to Tom and I'd say, Tom, what can I do? What can I do to help you? I probably drove him crazy. And one time I walked over to Tom and he was facing the back end of a flatbed truck and there was an elderly white uh, headed woman laying in the truck and she was wailing so loudly and talking incessantly and I thought she must truly be injured and I stood beside Tom and I said Tom what can I do to help and he said well can you stay with this lady I, I don't think she's really hurt I think she's just scared and in shock and if you could stay with her and hold her hand I can go help other people So Tom went about his way, and I grabbed her hand, and she put it to her chest. She began to just talk and talk and talk and scream and yell, and I could feel her heart beating through her chest wall, and it was just boom, 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 boom. I mean, she was frightened. And I began to try to calm her down, as Tom had asked me to do, and I would stroke her hair and talk quietly and say these things to her. And then it dawned on me, you know what? She doesn't know English. The obvious, right? Then I thought, what am I going to do? This woman is going to have a heart attack and die. And I began to pray fervently. Isn't that what we do when we run out of all the options and we've used all of our great problem-solving skills and ability, and we are worthless before the situation we pray. And I prayed, Lord, Lord, please show me what to do to help this woman. And in a split second, like a light bulb that goes off in your head, like the Spirit talking to my spirit, I thought, you know, I've heard this hymn sung in Haiti by church groups and and worship services by school children maybe she knows that hymn and I thought I'll sing her that hymn in English because I know the words in English and maybe she'll hear that tune and be able to know what I'm saying hearing the words in her head in Creole and so I began to sing and if you'll forgive me choir in my puny voice this is what I sang Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, 
I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. I'm sure people all around me thought, Pam has truly lost it. She's out of her mind. But I didn't care, because in that moment, holding the grandmother's hand, I could feel her heart begin to slow, and I could see her quiet her spirit, and she became more still and began to cry. And I sensed that it wasn't just me and Grandma who was lying in the back of a truck holding hands. God was with us in that moment. Lord, when did we see you? That night, all the folks that had come to get help gathered in the driveway. We, Some of us were in chairs with towels draped around us trying to nod off. Others of us were sleeping in cars or tr- trucks uh, that were parked in that driveway. And we did that because the earth would not quit shaking. There were over 40 aftershocks in the force first 24 hours and they weren't small they were big and every time they would come you'd think is this the one that will kill me if you were inside so we were all outside and it grew very dark no electricity and as the shock shocks would come I could hear throughout the city people shrieking with fear throughout the city And as the shrieks would subside, I heard hundreds of people singing, singing hymns. And it was so soothing and calming. And I knew it was hymns because I recognized one of the words, Alleluia, Alleluia. Now I was the one being comforted by hymns in a language I did not understand. Lord, when did we see you? The next morning, I was walking across the driveway, and someone grabbed my hand from behind, and it was Grandma. She was still there. And she began to talk wildly. That must have been her nature. I didn't know her before. Talk and talk, and then she cried and tears everywhere. And I don't know how I knew it. I just knew in the depths of my heart What she was saying was, thank you for being with me. Thank you. And I felt the same way. And I felt like it wasn't just us there that night. God was with us. Now, Grandma's story unfolded later. I learned later that she actually lived next door. And when the earthquake had come, she had been across town. And she had raced home to find her two sisters dead and her home collapse. So when I was holding her hand and she was wailing, it was a night of unbearable grief for her, not just fear. So why do I tell you this story? I'm not a hero. All I did was sing a song. The truth was, Grandma and I comforted one another, and we were there and connected And that's part of what mission is. Not that I have something and other people don't. But that we're connected. 
This life puts us in vulnerable places. We're broken. We're scared. But we can be connected. And God will be with us in those moments. I went home after three days. I was unharmed. I didn't break a fingernail. No harm came to me, but as we well know, in 2010, Port-au-Prince did not fare so well, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people died. I was filled with a desire to help like fire in my bones. And I went back to Haiti several times that year and begged people to go with me and I raised money and I told these stories and I did everything I could. I would dream at night about going to Haiti and standing alongside Haitian brothers and sisters and trying to make something recover, trying to bring some semblance of newness and mercy into what had seemed so awful. My life had been turned upside down by this, not to mention all those Haitians. And I was caught in this unbelievable tension of remembering and seeing before me all the harm and the grief and the destruction that the earth shaking had brought, but witnessing this exquisite tenderness and kindness that people will show to each other in the worst of times. Yesterday I saw it on CNN when someone from the synagogue spoke about their community. An exquisite tenderness and loving longing to care for one another. And in that tension, I was brought deeper to a reality. The reality that we are connected in this journey of life. We're all vulnerable, and we can be connected and help one another. My life was turned upside down, but there's not a day that I regret being there because my life was turned upside down and inside out. Now, this wasn't the first day in Haiti that my life had been turned upside down. My life had been turned upside down the first time I went to Haiti. You see, my husband had been sent to a church not unlike Hyde Park in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that church had a 30-plus year ministry in northern Haiti, which is why I happened to be in Port-au-Prince in 2010. I was there for a conference for partners who do work in Haiti. And so on that first trip to Haiti, I was asked by the founders of that ministry, Alice and Bill White, they urged Ken and I to go. And I said, okay, I'll go. I was just trying to be the good minister's wife, I confess. Oh, get in there and I'll help. Yeah, I'll go. Like it was no big deal. And boy, was I shocked. I'd never seen anything like that. But I went. And what they did there was send medical teams of doctors and nurses provide medical care in this very rural village. And so, being medical like I am, not, I was completely useless. And they put me to weighing and measuring babies and taking their temperatures, which I absolutely qualified for because I'm a mother. 
And I did that before uh, these infants and children would be seen by the doctor. And about middle of the week, I thought, whoa, I'm not doing so bad, you know. And then the ground began to shake in a different way. Behind me, up walked another grandma. And she had this bundle of towels in her arm, and she threw back those towels, and two tiny eyes peered back at me. And I knew in my heart, I don't know how, that this child was in serious trouble. In fact, I thought the infant might be dead, and I ran to the pediatrician, and I said, Doc Ray, you have to come quick. There's a baby out here, and I think she's dead. I was afraid to touch this child. And the story unfolded. This child had been born days earlier, and her mother was completely and utterly exhausted and had no reserves to nurse or nurture this child. The father had been employed. The family was hungry. They were at risk. And so the effects of that were being felt in this days-old infant who was not being nurtured or nursed. So I watched as they laid that baby on a folding table in the back of the clinic. And they had this syringe of, I think, sugar water, glucose, and a tiny tube. And they put that tiny tube down the baby's nose and into its throat. And they began to push on this syringe, pumping the baby full of needed fluids. And I watched this, and at one point, the clamor in the treatment room required the nurses to take their attention elsewhere. And Alice looked to me, and she said, Pam, you can do this. Come sit right here, and you can, you can push on this syringe. But you have to be careful, because if you push too quickly, the baby could aspirate and die. I was like, oh, my gosh. So I did as Alice asked, and I sat down, and I took the syringe, and I began to pray, Lord, don't let me kill this baby. Let me push slowly. And I watched as this baby began to come back to life like a sponge, soaking up those fluids. And at one point, you know, babies will grab reflexively, and at one point I had a hand free, and I was stroking the baby, and she grabs my finger, and I thought, this baby's going to make it. And I turned to the grandmother who was smiling and the interpreter standing there behind her, and I said, would you please ask the grandmother the name of this baby? And I will always remember this. I can never tell this story without crying, but what he said was the baby's name was Lovely. And the reason that makes me cry is because I knew you name something lovely that you cherish and you love and you want to see live. That grandmother had walked miles to bring that baby to us. And in the next moment I thought, oh my gosh, what if Alice and Bill had not started this clinic? What if over 30 years ago they had gone to Haiti and seen the destruction and the awful problems and the difficulties, what seemed like insurmountable difficulties? And what if they had come home and said, you know, Bill, there's not a thing we can do. You can't fix that place. And rolled over in bed and said, oh, well. 
But no, they had said to each other, we have to do something. And they told their friends about their experience. And they took their friends to see. And they talked to people on the ground about what was needed and followed their lead. And they tried some things, honestly, that were miserable failures. But they showed missional resilience and perseverance. And they tried new things. And they heard about other ministries. And they set about creating this pattern of sending medical teams, something they could offer. When did we see you, Lord? You see, that day turned my life upside down because I quit believing there's nothing you can do. And I started believing there's a world of possibility of what we can do to turn this world upside down. I started believing I could make a difference. Even though I wasn't a doctor or a nurse, I could make a difference. Even though I didn't know first aid, I could make a difference. I could make a difference. When did we see you, Lord? Ask yourself that when the hurricanes come and they blow people's lives away and the timbers of their homes, and they're digging through slimy drywall for any little trinket or family photo they can save and cherish. And ask yourself that when you may avoid eye contact with someone who happens to be homeless, but that person may simply long for you to know their story, to be seen as a real person and not some hopeless cause. When did we see you, Lord? Did we see you with the children in cages or the poor who are always with us or the stranger among us or the reports of yet another mass shooting? When did we see you? But please, for the love of God, if the love of God is in you, don't ever say we can't make a difference because we can. We can. I've seen it. Know that there's a grandmother who's in abject grief who has lost all of her family and you can be there to do something as simple as hold a hand. Or a baby lovely that needs medical doctors at a particular moment in history and lives to this day because of the care she received. And families who are rebuilding lives now after Irma and Michael ahead of us. In all those ways and many more that you can see in that fellowship hall, there's a way we can make a difference. These people need you. Truth is, you need them. You need them. We all need our lives turned upside down. Because when our lives get turned upside down, they get turned inside out. And let me tell you, there is nothing more joyful than a life lived inside out. And if we live inside out, the love of God reaching out to others, we'll turn this world upside down. Oops, I'm supposed to pray. Sorry. I got carried away there. Let us pray. But truly, 
we can change this world. Let us pray. Open our eyes, Lord, and put our hearts to loving and our hands to working and our souls to seeing your people as you do, created in your image, the face of Christ and those we serve. Amen.